You are holy. You are righteous. You are worthy. God, you are the only one who is worthy of our praise. And so this Easter morning, we shout your name. For in your name there is power. By your name, people are healed. By your blood, we are covered. With your breath, dry bones come alive. And so God, we thank you for the newness that for those in Christ Jesus, that there is now no condemnation, that there is forgiveness, there is grace, that we are being made new each and every day. God, we thank you that you have already fought the war. It is done. It is over, and victory belongs to you, our King of kings, our Lord of lords. God, we shout your name from the rooftops. That all who cry out your name will be saved. We believe that, God. God, this week, many of us have been fighting battles. Illness, disease, brokenness. But God, we thank you that we know how this story ends. We know that it ends in restoration. We know that it ends in reconciliation. We know that it ends in forgiveness. We know that it ends in being with you because you, God, made a way. And so, God, we give you all of our praise and our glory this morning, God, that it is you, it is you who have done this. You have declared it finished. God, we can't say enough about you. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for what it means for us that we have been purchased, that we have been bought by your blood. And God, we thank you that the tomb is still empty. God, we thank you that death could not hold you, that you have trampled on our enemy. And victory is in your name. Thank you, God. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Happy Easter. Welcome to Highland Hills. It is so good to see so many new faces here today. Thanks for choosing to worship with us this morning. 
We have a lot to celebrate today. Our king is alive and well. The grave could not hold him. He is risen. Hallelujah. This is the final week of our, of our series called He Is. And we have been uh, following Jesus from the upper room where he enjoyed a, a final meal with his uh, disciples to celebrate the Passover. We followed him to the garden where he was in agony, face down, praying that the cup might pass from him. He was overwhelmed with grief and sorrow that he collapses under the weight, the heaviness of that cup that he's about to drink. And he sees the sin before him that he's about to take on, the separation that he's about to experience from his father. And he knows this is the only way. And so he prays, not my will, but your will be done, God. We saw how he's arrested and how he was brought before the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the high priest, all of the things, the, the, the blasphemy that he was charged with, claiming to be the son of God. He was sent before Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman governor of the region, that he might carry out the execution. And so Pilate, he offers the people a choice. In honor of Passover, they can have a prisoner released to them. One man will be set free. Will it be Jesus, the one they call the Messiah, the Christ, or will it be Barabbas, an insurrectionist, a murderer, an enemy of the state, a danger to the public? The people choose Barabbas. And they cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And so last week we see how our Savior is led to the cross. He's led out of town along the Via Dolorosa, or the Way of Sorrows as it's called. Carrying the cross, he weaves his way through the city, the longest trek possible, ending at a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there the Lamb of God provided by God for our atonement was sacrificed on a cross between two common thieves. Our king shed his blood, and in doing so, he becomes our redeemer. Our redeemer, that we have been purchased by his blood, the score has been settled, our debt has been paid, and with his final cry of Tetelestai, it is finished. The work of salvation was complete. God's justice was satisfied and our sin was paid in full. But that's not the end. That's not the end. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to the Gospel of John this morning. We're going to take a look at that first Easter morning. You're going to find John in the New Testament right after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we're going to go to chapter 20 today. If you have your smartphone with you, you can find all the notes and scriptures for today's message in your YouVersion Bible app. Just look for Highland Hills Church under the event ta events tab there. So we're going to go to John uh, 20, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Please follow along as I read the word of God aloud. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. 
So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word. So Jesus died on Friday. His body was given to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the same man who came under the cover of darkness to Jesus, asking what he must do to be saved. You remember the story, right? He must be born again. Joseph of Arimathea had a brand new tomb, and it was just sitting empty. So after he and Nicodemus treated the body with a mixture of myrrh, aloe, and spices, they put it in Joseph's tomb. They had wrapped Jesus' body with strips of linen in accordance with the Jewish burial custom, and there he lay. A stone was rolled across the entrance. The stone was heavy and would need several very strong men to move it, but again, that was also common. However, just in case anyone was trying to, to steal the body or disrupt it in some way, the Romans, they sealed the stone. That is, they put the Roman seal on it so they could see if it had been tampered with. And they placed a couple of armed guards, Roman guards, in front of the tomb. I can't imagine what the guards must be thinking about their role in this scenario. People don't normally mess with dead bodies. Dead bodies are decomposing flesh. Who would want to defile himself in such a way by making themselves unclean? An even more puzzling question, 
what would someone want with a rotting carcass? I'm sure they were thinking, so you want us to stand here and make sure that nobody goes in and nobody comes out. I feel like our odds of success are really good on this one. <laughs> the next day was the Sabbath, and so it wasn't until Sunday morning that anybody could go to the tomb. No work was going to be done on the Sabbath, and the body had only been hastily prepared for burial. So we learn from other accounts that Mary Magdalene, as well as Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, and, and maybe some others, they took some spices and they go. It's still dark. It's still very early in the morning, and they go to the tomb to finish preparing the body. There's some speculation as to whether they knew about the sealed stone or whether they knew about the guards or how they even planned to move the stone in the first place, but none of that matters because it says Mary gets there. Mary sees that the stone has been removed from the entrance, and she takes off. She goes back to town, and she runs to where Peter and John are. It says that it's the other disciple. Uh, it doesn't actually say John, but it's John, all right? The other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, it's John. The same John who's writing this, he's writing about himself, and so he says that they take off running for the tomb. Peter is significantly older, maybe, uh, I don't know, 20 years perhaps, and so uh, John is younger and faster. He gets there first, and when he gets there, he only peeks inside. Peter, as brazen as he is, he runs right in. <laughs> he sees the strips of linen lying there. Let's look at verse 6. It says, Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and they go straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. There was something very peculiar about this linen. It was not as it's supposed to be. See, if the body had been taken by someone, they would not have unwrapped it first. That, would, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They would not have unwrapped it. This body has been wrapped very similarly to a mummy. Strips of linen all around the body. That was the custom. So first off, you would not have found a body and linen separated. But second, if it, had been a, if it had been a quick grab and go with the body, they would have cut the linen. They would not have taken the time to carefully unwrap it. It's like Christmas morning almost. You know, you're not going to take the time to carefully do that. And lastly, after you carefully unwrap the linen, you're not going to take the time to put it back in its place. I mean, I go home at the end of a long day, and I take off the clothes that I have been wearing, and what do I do with them? I put them in a pile on the floor. We do not lay them out as they were. <laughs> I mean, they, they walk in, and the, the linen is lying in the same position that it should have been, except there's no body. There's no body. It looked 
almost like it hadn't even been used. It looked like the body just disappeared. The linen was still there, very neatly positioned. It wasn't strewn about the tomb. Even the cloth that is around his head is still lying in its place. And John goes on to say that he saw and believed. He saw and believed. There are three incredible truths that I want you to see today, see this morning. And the first one is this. He is risen. He is risen. The disciples, they they go back to where they're staying, but Mary, she remains. And verse 11 says, now Mary, she's standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? She says, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. She's still there. She's still crying. Her vision is marred. Her vision is blurred because she is so emotional. And so she doesn't know that she's conversing with angels, which probably is a good thing. They would have scared her to death, but she's too focused on what she doesn't know. What is it that she doesn't know? She doesn't know where the body is. She wants to know, where is his body? That's the question. That is the big question that she's asking, and yet she's asking the wrong question. Think about it. She is simply looking to locate the body. She would be happy to find Jesus' body. That would solve all of her problems, but that's not what God gives her. She wants to find the body, but God does not give her that. She is given something so much better. She's thinking, man, if I could just find his body, then I will be. And you can fill in the blank. But you know what's better than finding Jesus' body? Not finding Jesus' body. Even though Jesus had foretold of his death and resurrection, even though he had shared with them that the Son of Man would die and be raised again, they didn't understand. The disciples, they didn't understand. John makes that clear in verse 9. But who can blame Mary for thinking like this? Who can blame her? When she saw that the body was gone, she had no reason to believe that the body just up and, and walked away. Clearly someone had moved it. Dead people don't just suddenly rise. This is foolishness. But foolishness is our hope, is it not? That's why the Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, this foolishness is the beauty of the resurrection. The beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it happened. And this changes everything. We don't serve a memory of a dead idol. We don't serve some uh, great man who has died and gone away. We serve the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is risen And because he has been raised from the dead, then we too, having placed our hope in him, we will see that hope become a reality when we enter the grave as well. He has risen. Sure, 
Sure, people, people don't come back to life before Jesus, but you don't see people coming back to life before Christ. But after Christ, you're going to see it all the time. You're going to see it all the time. He is risen and it changes everything. And this isn't just a cool story. It isn't just a piece of history. It changes everything. And either it changes everything or it changes nothing. See, that's what Paul, he later writes in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also, who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. If he has risen, then we will also rise because our hope is in Christ. The tomb is empty. He is risen. The second thing we need to see today is this. He is alive. He is alive. Back at the tomb. Mary, she's still crying. She's still crying. And, and while she's staring into the tomb, something happens. It causes her to, to look behind her. Now, maybe she heard something. Maybe she saw a shadow as the sun was starting to rise. Maybe the angels uh, gestured in some sort of acknowledgement that Jesus was there. Who knows? But at the beginning of verse 14, it says, At this, whatever this is, at this, she turns around. And she sees Jesus standing there. But she doesn't realize that it's Jesus. And he asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Who's it you're looking for? Thinking he's the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus says to her, Mary. And in that moment, her heart leaps and she turns around. She turns towards him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. See, we already said that Mary wasn't looking for Jesus to be alive, but even if she knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead, even if she understood all of that, she still might not have expected to see him. She still might not have expected to see him there. And yet, here he is. This is such a tender moment between the two. She's crying. She sees him, but she doesn't see him. She thinks he's the gardener. He doesn't exactly look like he, he used to. He, he doesn't look like he did before his death. His resurrected body is just a little bit different. And so Jesus asks her, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Jesus is now the second person to ask her. Three, if you count the two angels together. Why are you crying? See, we can't miss this point. She is crying over a dead person that is not dead. It's as if they want Mary to give a reason for her tears. 
I think about all the things that we cry about in life. I think about people, I mean, we, we cry over all sorts of things. I am people, okay? I am people. We are people, and we cry over all sorts of things. And I think about what if Jesus were standing right there next to me as I am crying, and he asked me, why are you crying? There are things that I should cry about and things that I should not cry about. There are things that we cry about today. We weep in the moment. But when we know the full story, when we see what becomes of that sorrow, when we see how God uses that for good, we do not cry. The 19th century theologian J.C. Ryle, he once wrote that, that there is a place, there is a place where there is a great deal of crying. Earth. And there is a place where there is nothing but crying. Hell. And there is a place where there is no crying at all. Heaven. There is a lot of crying here on earth. I mean, in, in many passages of Scripture, hell is described as a place filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth, and yet heaven is described as this place where there will be no more tears. My point is this. Mary is crying over Jesus' body, but Jesus' body is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. He is alive. It is a time of rejoicing that what was once dead can be made alive again. What was buried can be unearthed. What was final can be made unfinal by the power of God. And if that can happen then, then think of what this means now. Think of what that means now. That changes everything. Your marriage can be resurrected. Your friendship can be restored. Your, mis your mistakes, they don't have to define you. Your life is not ruined. Forget about sin and guilt and shame. Sin cannot destroy what God cannot repair. Look at the empty tomb. It's empty. It's empty. Look at your chains. Look down. Your chains are broken. They've been ripped in two like the curtain of the temple. We have been set free. And this, if that can happen with huge things, if that can happen with massive things, like being dead and buried in the grave forever, what was, if that can be made untrue, then certainly lesser things, even lesser things can become untrue. Because what was once dead can be made alive, then also broken things. Broken things can be made whole. Things that were irreparable. They could not be repaired. They were beyond help. They were beyond hope. They can be made new. And I'm not just talking about like good as new. I'm talking about new, brand new. Like I'm not talking about Gorilla Glue or duct tape or super glue or that kind of thing. I'm not talking about fixing it. I'm talking about brand spanking new, out of the box newness. Sometimes we can look so longingly, like Mary does, look so longingly at what we lost at what we lost and miss what is standing there right in front of us. We miss our reason for celebration. God makes broken things new. Empty things can be filled. Things that, that cannot be restored are restored. There is no relationship that cannot be reconciled, no person that cannot be redeemed. Just as the angels ask Mary, we also have to ask ourselves the same question why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? 
Our king is alive. He was dead and is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. All sad things will come untrue. Because he is alive, we have victory over sin and death. The last thing we need to see today is this. He is victorious. He is victorious. Christ was not defeated. Rather, death was defeated. He was not a victim. Rather, he endured and conquered sin and death. The empty tomb means the death of death. Not only has death died, but death has lost its hold on us. We don't have to fear it any longer. Our God is alive. Our King is victorious, and we have nothing to fear, not even death. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We don't have to cry about death. Death is not the end. It wasn't the end for Christ, and it won't be the end for those in Christ. See, that's how Paul sees it. As he's sitting in a Roman prison cell, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, and he says to these Philippians, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's like, if I make it out of this prison cell, then great. More time to get to live for God. More, more people that get to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. But if they kill me, if I die here, even better. I get to go to heaven to be with God. It's a win-win for me. And so for those who are in Christ, there is no fear in life or death. Paul is well aware of this truth. He knows that he has nothing to fear, especially not death. But see, here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. Because Jesus is victorious over death, death itself, death itself has been repurposed. For the Christian, it is no longer our end, but it is our beginning. Because only dead things get made alive. Jesus Christ is resurrected only because he is fully dead. He came not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Only dead things get made alive. And if you're alive in Christ, then praise God. You have all you ever needed and all you ever will need. It has been given to you and you have, the same, you have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead. However, if you've never made that decision, if you're still thinking about it, if you just never got around to it, if you're unsure if you even would, then you need to know that only dead things get made alive. Now, I'm not saying some weird thing about hitting rock bottom here. I'm not, I'm not asking you to find that relationship and just absolutely break it um, the rest of the way. I'm not asking you to travel any further away from God than you already are. I'm just telling you that there is death and there is life. And that in order to be made alive in Christ, then there has to be some sort of agreement on the fact that one being made alive was indeed dead. You can't be kind of dead. 
You can't be somewhat dead or partially dead. You have to be dead. And so Jesus, he calls us to die to ourselves. In John chapter 12, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. See, the way up is the way down. Like that kernel of wheat, unless we fall down in repentance and die to ourselves, we cannot experience the life of victory that we were meant to live. We are called to die to sin, the very same sin that Christ died for. We also put it to death. We are to die to our selfish desires. That's why Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. We die to ourselves that we might be made alive in Christ. We cannot be alive in ourselves. We, we have to be alive in Christ. Otherwise, we're just dead men walking. Many of you may recall learning in school that an object at rest remains at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Newton's first law of motion, right? You gotta, you gotta toss something to those physics people every now and then. In the same way, what is dead stays dead unless God makes it alive again. What is dead remains dead unless God makes it alive. The good news, my friends, is that he is alive and well today, and he is seated on the throne, and he wants to make you alive by the power of his Holy Spirit. Christ rose from the grave, and because he did, you and I, we don't have to fear death. We can live with him forever. He was dead, but was made alive. And so there's nothing that we cannot face because he is with us and his power knows no limit. He is victorious in every way and because of that there is no past we cannot overcome. There is no present struggle we cannot endure. There is no future that we cannot face because he lives. We are declared more than conquerors in him and it's through him and his power that we can do all things. There is no chain that he cannot break, no storm he cannot calm. He is triumphant in all things. There is power in his very name. There is victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for that first Easter morning where sorrow was turned to joy, where anguish turned to peace confusion and discouragement turn to clarity and joy encouragement excitement God we thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises we thank you that you are trustworthy that we can believe in you we can believe in your power we can believe in your goodness because you you God do all the work. You, God, rescued us from sin and death. It is by your power that we are made new.
God, if there is anyone here today who has not received that, that has not made a decision to follow you, to take up their cross and follow you, God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Today would be the day where they receive newness of life, where they would be made alive in you. God, for those of us, for those of us who say our hope is in you, God, I pray that that would be so. That just as Mary took the news to others, saying, I have seen the Lord, God, I pray that we would do the same. That we would take the news that you are alive. And we wouldn't just tell someone, we would tell everyone. That I have seen the Lord. And that changes everything. God, we have seen you. We have seen your power. We have seen you at work. God, we pray. We pray, God, that the world would know that there is a king. There is a savior. There is a Lord. His name is Jesus. And he is alive. God, we thank you for the victory that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of response. We'd like to invite you, if you, if you want to pray at the altar, the altar is open to pray. I'll be down front if you'd like to talk, but the worship team is going to lead us in a song. We'd like to invite you to stand. Stand with us and sing. Let's respond all over this place, however the Lord leads us.